that kind of mindset that kind of narrative has to be changed so when japan is looking for a korean peninsula framework policy it has to look at uh, north korea problem it has to look at management of alliance it has to look for management of adversary alliance that is uh, north korea china and russia which might emerge in future and which will uh, bring greater problems for uh, japan security Welcome back. You're listening to the Real Issues, Real Voices, Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. Here at Japan Forward, we bring to our audience issues that are of real importance in and about Japan from the perspective and context of people inside of Japan, as expressed or captured by them who truly understand the nuances of culture, issues, and current events. In today's session, Dr. Jagannath Panda joins us again. Fresh from his trip to South Korea, Dr. Panda outlines key points in Japan-Korea relations and rebuilding a promising future. Let's listen in. Thank you to our listeners and followers for joining us again for our Twitter space. Every week we're seeing more people join us for this live conversation and we appreciate it very much. Before we get, in, before we get started, let us introduce ourselves. For anybody unfamiliar with us, we started Japan Forward in 2017 with a goal to reach global audiences by sharing stories, opinions, and editorial content from Japan. Our mission, shared by our supporters and followers, is to raise awareness of the Japanese spirit, culture, and tradition. All right, so in today's call, we'll introduce I guess, some of our editorial staff. So, Naito-san, maybe you could start with you. Um, hi, uh, Dr. Pantas, uh, Pandas, thank you. Thank you for being with us and uh, thank you for listeners uh, uh, being with us too. And uh, my name is Yasu Naito. I'm the editor-in-chief uh, at Japan Forward. Uh, since I've uh, lived in Russia for a long time and uh, I'm, I'm quite, uh, well, today's uh, uh, theme is Japan-Korea relationship, but uh I'm really interested in, you know, what's going to happen to the world in the future as the Russia's invasion to the Ukraine uh, never stops. And uh, it seems that, you know, the new Cold War is started. Somebody said that uh, it's a third world war has already started. Well, uh, anyway, so uh, I'm really uh, excited to uh, hear your opinion. Well, thank you, Dr. Panda. Well, thank you. Naito-san, thank you very much uh, for this kind invitation. It's always a great pleasure to connect with you and Japan Forward team. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, thank you. And our senior editor, Susan. Uh, hi, Dr. Panda. We've uh, exchanged uh, uh, email and messages and articles many times, and I'm really happy to talk to you uh, on Twitter Spaces. It's This is a great forum for this, and uh, we're, we appreciate your contributions. We're looking forward to more collaboration and uh, we have a new article uh, that you've written that's coming out in just a couple hours. So all of the listeners, please look back on Japan Forward in the next few hours for Dr. Panda's article. Thank you, Sujan Shen. Um, I mean, always grateful for your excellent editing. And yeah, it, it looks really good when you give a final touch to my article. Uh, it, it really, um, you know, uh, becomes very readable for the readers. And I'm thankful to you for, for that, all, all of those editing. And finally, I'm Galileo. So I've been working in Japan Forward since about 2016 or late 2016, 2017. Um, I work mainly on the marketing and uh, the dev side. And I also host this Twitter space and podcast. And 
Yes, and I would like to introduce our guest, Dr. Jagnath Panda, is currently the head of Stockholm Center for South Asian and Indo-Pacific Affairs at the Institute of Security and Development Policy in Sweden. He is deeply focused on Indo-Pacific affairs and relations of the region in, with Europe and is the author of the Asia's Next Page column on Japan Forward. So Dr. Panda, it's almost been three months since we last spoke and it's, it was our first time inviting you as a guest on our podcast. T tonight is our your second time and you've published two more pieces with us um, since then and the latest is scheduled for later this evening. Uh, I've just pulled out some numbers quickly. Um, 30, you've, you've published 36 articles since May 2020. Very productive and I know you've been traveling a little for some business. How do you manage all of this? You're so, you're so busy. Galileus, and thank you very much for those kind notes. But yeah, it's always a pleasure to um, contribute to Japan Forward. And I think, uh, I mean, Japan is one of those, one of those my, uh, you know, uh, main primary research focus, uh, given its Indo-Pacific uh, alignments that Japan has taken for the last uh, one decade or so. So yeah, uh, and given the center I'm heading in Stockholm, um, and I think it goes naturally with my research and with my background to focus on the East Asian politics with China, Japan, and Korea. So yeah, it's a part of that academic exercise, but uh, thank you very much uh, for this kind invitation to talk to you uh, over the Japan Forward today. Okay, yes. So as we mentioned earlier, your article is scheduled after this Twitter space. Um, it's on Japan-Korea relations. And we understand that you were in South Korea recently. Could you share with our listeners what you were up to? And maybe to follow up, is this your first time back in South Korea since the new president Yoon took office? Oh, yes. Um, I think uh, because of the pandemic, there was a halt uh, in terms of engaging uh, physically with the South Korean uh, scholarly community. But yes, um, after the new government has come um, in, in Seoul, I think this was my first visit to uh, talk to the strategic communities in Seoul. And the impression that I get, uh, in fact, uh, I did tweet about this today in my Twitter handle, that uh, there is a slow but steady change is happening in South Korea's foreign policy. And Japan is a critical actor in uh, South Korea's foreign policy at present. And we should not really miss out that uh, that aspect. Of course, um, as um, I think the editor-in-chief uh, Naito-san pointed out, there are a lot of changes uh, taking place in global politics today. Uh, we are seeing in the European zone, um, you know, the Madrid summit just happened um, where NATO came out with a new, a new, a new uh, declaration. Uh, then uh, there was, uh, you know, before that we saw um, U.S. President Biden visiting uh, South Korea and Japan. Then we had, uh, you know, you, on the other hand, we are seeing that um, in the Asian and in the Eurasian regions, you know, um, uh, the BRICS summit was uh, held between Japan, uh, sorry, between Russia, China and India. Uh, so a lot is happening in the different parts of the globe, and that's making the global politics currently interesting. And uh, to that effect, I think uh, if we see uh, more towards the East and um, having a linkages with the Indo-Pacific uh, politics, uh, South Korea is an important actor, and um, both Japan and Japan's uh, strategic partners in the uh, regions, including India, US, and Australia, the Quad countries should take a significant note because a lot of changes are happening under the UN administration. UN administration is showing a lot of overture towards uh, towards the Indo-Pacific region, and we should not really miss, miss that aspect. So I'd like to know, what's your current assessment of 
um, the Japan-Korea relation status based on some of the recent geopolitical events that have happened in the recent years? I think there is a positive environment emerging between um, Japan and South Korea. Um, and that needs to be uh, cast upon. Um, we need to, uh, you know, turn this positive atmosphere into ground realities, into practice. There has to be more diplomatic meetings, diplomatic talks on the both sides. In fact, um, as you recall, I think um, when uh, Prime Minister Kishida came to power um, last year, uh, you know, he he did mention about that, you know, we cannot really think about peace and stability in East Asia or in the Indo-Pacific regions mm. unless really we take into confidence South Korea and we stabilize our partnership with South Korea. Similarly, today, when you see the UN administration in South Korea has come to power, they are also reiterating the fact that it is important to rebuild uh, the lost you know, relationship with Japan. So I think on the both sides, uh, both from the Japanese side and the Korean side, there is a positive inclination to rebuild the ties. But right. we know for a fact that there are historical hurdles, mm -hmm. there are emotional hurdles, there are emotional barriers attached to their historical past. Both the countries have gone through a lot and they, uh, the, the, the people's sentiment in both the countries are very high when it comes to history. So therefore, it is not really easy to translate this um, positive atmosphere into a positive practical atmosphere. Mm. And I think... Uh, uh, for that, uh, both the leaders need to meet uh, frequently. There has to be diplomatic exchanges and dialogues. Yeah. And I think um, uh, uh, it is very much possible. And I think uh, this is what uh, President Biden's visit also indicated. When mm. um, under the under the Indo-Pacific economic framework, both Japan and South Korea were clubbed along with a lot of uh, other Indo-Pacific countries. So that actually allowed a positive spin to the whole gamut of issues between um, South Korea and Japan. And uh, I would say by saying, uh, you know, I would say that, uh, you know, after talking to the South, South Korean strategic communities, mm -hmm. definitely there is a positive atmosphere in Seoul. And um, and this positive atmosphere needs to be really, you know, taken into confidence in terms of building the Japan-South Korea ties. And uh, policymakers, strategic communities in Japan mm -hmm. should really, you know, focus a lot about this positive atmosphere in Seoul and should not miss, miss out this golden opportunity. So while you were in Seoul, did you feel that kind of positive atmosphere um, from from the people that you met there in terms of their what is it their thoughts towards Japan? I think Japan ranks far below when it comes to a negativity um, in in South Korea's foreign policy. If we mm -hmm. talk about negative uh, entities in South Korea's foreign policy, of course North Korea ranks first, China mm -hmm. ranks second. Uh, so. In comparison to these two negative entities, um, Japan probably comes as the third country. So, um, uh, but what I would write, uh, like to read currently is that I think um, the people and the strategic communities in South Korea at this moment are eager to listen to the Japanese counterparts and they're eager to rebuild the ties with um, South Korea 
uh, with 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 Japan, primarily on the point that you know this is uh, this is an atmosphere which needs to be really capitalized upon, and they realize that this is also a golden opportunity for South Korea's foreign policy. South Korea's foreign policy for a long time has been caught caught up between the North Korean threat and how to manage the relationship with China, um, but managing the relationship with Japan has not really been given a proper priority. And to that effect, I, I do see there is a positive inclination among the South Korean policy makers mm-hmm. and the strategic community to rebuild the ties with Japan and to give Japan a much more, uh, you know, required importance in its foreign policy, uh, which was missing. And uh, mm-hmm. therefore, to that extent, I will read it as a positive sign, a positive atmosphere building up in South Korea. Okay. Yes, I, I think from what from other reports I've read too that it seems to be a new kind of wave or like like you said a positive air in ter- in terms of rebuilding um, a better relationship with Japan and South Korea. But Dr. Panda, just to to go back to what you mentioned earlier about increasing dialogue and discussion, um, diplomatic discussion between the nations. Um, what what would you assess to be like the top priority areas? Um, between the two countries that what what they can rebuild on for the next what five ten years I think uh, the, there are a lot of issues both the countries can rebuild in terms of not only stabilizing their relationship but also in terms of building a much more stable East Asian order yes. uh, to their favor um, we need to understand that uh, you know uh, bilaterally of course there are historical issues um, uh, which are emotional issues and probably both countries need a much more closed door um, you know strategic dialogue and uh, compromise on both sides and uh, most importantly flexibility to address those emotional historical issues but I think both the countries also needs to look forward as both are emerging as uh, the strong economic and uh, strategic partners in the Indo-Pacific regions particularly mm-hmm. in the US-led Indo-Pacific security architecture I think uh, both the countries are caught up in a strategic, uh, you know, uh, challenging position today. Japan on a multiple uh, issues from uh, from East China Sea, from Senkaku Island dispute to, you know, uh, on the Taiwan Strait. I think Japan's security is getting exposed. And when we talk about South Korea's security, it is a long-term security that South Korea needs to really take care uh, in terms of building its credible, you know, um, military posturing, uh, nuclear credibility, and also partnerships in the regions in order to challenge the North Korean's nuclear force and also in right. in, in in order to challenge the any possible nexus, trilateral nexus that might emerge against South Korea that is between um, uh, North Korea, China and Russia. And I think mm-hmm. in order to uh, face this kind of um, authoritarian alliance that uh, might really, you know, emerging stronger in the Korean Peninsula or in mm-hmm. the Northeast Asia, both Japan and South Korea needs to be on the common platform. And that is the only way out to think about, uh, uh, you know, uh, a, a 10 years or a decade long uh, roadmap. And I yeah. think uh, the security of both the countries uh, have been compromised. And I think the time has come probably this bilateral relationship needs to really think about not only in terms of addressing the, um, the the problems that are there bilaterally, but also in terms of looking forward how to live in a stable regional order, particularly in the East Asian order. I think they have to prepare a roadmap which will 
which will go beyond the northeast asia which right. will also touch upon the east asia and indo pacific um, undercurrents and therefore i think a stability a much more uh, much more uh, future oriented uh, roadmap is necessary between japan and south korea in order to take care of their security interest that is um, you know that is threatening from time to time for both of them so like you mentioned earlier again with Pres- um, prime minister kishida so he's he's trying to work out a new positive future in relations with south korea but on the other hand there's also china so in your opinion what's you know what's the best way to balance these two two nations um where we have china and you mentioned also china there's a play there with russia as well but on the korea side there's we we say korea but we say south korea but also there's a play with north korea So if you're Prime Minister Kishida, what what are the different angles to approach like the building of the relationship here? I think uh, Japan-China problem is not the lone problem. I think many countries in the world, uh, they face the China problems on on a range of issues. Uh, If we talk about India, India's China problem is also much deeper than Japan's China problem. If we talk about US-China problem, it is a systemic challenge to the US uh, status quo in the the world politics, to the US stature in the world politics. And I think uh, um, uh, the China problem is there for most of the countries, and Japan is not the only singular country which is facing the China problem. But I think what Japan needs to also, um, you know, uh, probably think and probably this is where um, Prime Minister Kishida needs to have a much more um, open and versatile foreign policy um, mm-hmm. is not to really concentrate its foreign policy only China-centric. Uh, the complex problems in the regions are not really necessarily directly China centric. It right. is multi. It is it is China plus centric. It is China plus authoritarian power centric. Uh, we are seeing a context where, where uh, there is a no limit partnership is emerging. That is between China and Russia. Uh, we are uh, um, you know in Northeast Asia in the Korean Peninsula. We are seeing a much more more calculative and deliberate partnership emerging between China and North Korea, and probably after the Ukraine war, we will see a credible trilateral partnership emerging among China, Russia, and North Korea. And this will be an authoritarian, uh, you know, um, authoritarian alliance uh, partnerships. And to that effect, I think Japan's foreign policy needs to be versatile, multi-pronged, and it has to be a smart foreign policy um, decision-making process where Japan will be able to meet the China's challenge on a multiple uh, front, not all, not only bilaterally, but also you know in um, East Asia as well as in the greater Indo-Pacific regions. And for that context and keeping all of this background in mind, I think it makes sense for Prime Minister Kishida mm-hmm. to think about much more uh, you know, uh, versatile-oriented uh, foreign policy partnership um, in in Indo-Pacific and beyond, and uh, this is what we are seeing in Japanese foreign policy at, at the moment, probably. But it needs to be executed to a calculative and uh, right direction. We are seeing that uh, you know Japanese foreign policy is focusing a lot on bilateral partnerships. It is focusing a lot on Indo-Pacific partnership. But within that bilateral and Indo-Pacific partnership, Japan. Uh, on the Prime Minister Kishida needs to also focus on trilateral and quadrilateral partnerships, not only among the Quad countries, that is between India, US, Japan, and Australia, but also with a, a range of other countries. Right. When uh, Japan needs to take uh, 
ASEAN countries into confidence. Japan needs to have a greater outreach toward the South Asian countries. Japan mm. needs to have a much more calculative and much more versatile approach towards the Indian Ocean region countries. And most importantly, if Japan needs to really versatile its foreign policy and Japan needs to really re-emerge as a greater power in world politics, Japan needs to take and encash upon the European countries at this moment. And I think there is a lot of changes happening in Europe and Japan uh, is needed um, much, um, you know, in a better format than earlier. And I think uh, uh, Prime Minister Kishida needs to uh, look at uh, the European uh, continent much more clearly and much more deliberately in terms of having a um, strategic and economic partnership with the European Union, which will actually be very fruitful and uh, positive for the Japanese foreign policy in times to come. So therefore, Japan needs a much more versatile and multi-pronged strategy in order to refashion its uh, uh, positioning in world politics today. Dr. Panda, I wanted to ask your opinion um, on, uh, you You mentioned it in your piece that's going to be published after this Twitter space, but something that's going to be happening um, in the next couple of months in Germany, in Berlin, Germany, is um, the, what do I say, it's the renewal of a comfort women statue um, to be placed in the city. And recently we met with a group called End Comfort Women Fraud. And their mission is to you know, co correct misinformation or to present facts and truths um, of these types of propaganda. And I wanted to know your opinion is that, um, is this a key in, um, like what you mentioned earlier, in rebuilding or creating better relationships with Japan and South Korea? I think um, this issue is such an emotional and complicated issue. There will be uh, definitely a public sentiment rising, um, um, uh, what you are referring after two months in Germany uh, with the statue unveiling. I think... Uh, this issue will definitely touch upon some of those emotional moments again. But I think what we are watching on both sides, particularly in Japan and uh, South Korea, in the capital cities and particularly among the mainstream strategic communities, I think the mainstream strategic communities are willing to make a point that both the countries need to think it more as a symbolic, as a uh, historical symbolic uh, you know, a milestone um, where uh, it should be remembered uh, as a as a lesson from history, and not to repeat and not to really see it as a future drawback, um, um, hindrancing po point, uh, obstacle point, uh, mm -hmm. in order to uh, you know strengthen the bilateral relationship. And to that effect, I think uh, uh, there is probably a positive atmosphere will emerge rather than a negative atmosphere. And we are seeing that probably the political communities in both the countries in Japan and South Korea are willing to see these issues much more positively. So therefore, um, even though in in uh, next couple of months in Germany, we'll see that uh, the issue will again come up. But I am I'm, I'm, uh, I'm quite optimistic that this might not really create any negativity to the relationship uh, for the timing. I see. Okay. Um, yeah, let's hope, let's hope that it goes towards um, what you've been mentioning, like a positive and op optimistic um, start to, yeah, to, to the, the build, rebuilding of Japan and South Korea's relations. I think Naito-san has a question. 
Yes, yes. Well, uh, Dr. Pandas, thank you for your kind of positive comments. But, uh, you know, as a journalist, I'm, I'm all, always watching negativities as well. And uh, the recent, you know, the, uh, the summit, in the NATO summit in Madrid, uh, you know, the, the Japanese newspapers and that, I think the South Korean uh, media also, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, sent the message that, you know, the both countries, the leaders of the both countries didn't meet up. In Madrid, and you know, there, it, it it's something like you know uh, the the you know from from the Japan side, uh, there's no kind of enthusiasm to the kind of the new president to uh, you know the Yoon. Uh, it's just a wait and see kind of position is is there. And uh, what do you think? Uh, you see, uh, this is a kind of Japan's. Um, how. Uh, how can I tell you? You see, see, uh, the, the Japan was long waited, waited, uh, kind of, you know, the, the South Korean positive moment. But uh, instead, Japan has been bashed, and uh, you know, I think the Japanese uh, elite or the the leadership now is watching what's going to happen to the South Korean politics in the near future. So that's a kind of, you know, the message that uh, Prime Minister Kishida didn't meet with President Yoon. Uh, even though they are, you know, at the same time in the Madrid, uh, what what type of comment do you have uh, uh, in this regard? I mean, uh, from an independent point of view, I would agree with you that probably uh, it is too early to um, draw entirely a positive atmosphere for Japan-South um, uh, Korea relations. And as you rightly pointed out, both the leaders didn't really meet um, during the Madrid summit. So that itself indicates that there is still a huge gap. But I think what we need to also remember that I think, um, I mean, uh, more as a uh, independent analyst and scholar from third country, I would uh, I would love to make this point that probably uh, both countries are rigid countries, both historically and today also in contemporary politics. Um, both the countries are quite rigid countries. Their leadership, their decision-making process are still very bureaucratized and still very rigid. And therefore, what Today we saw in the Madrid that both the leaders didn't really meet. Now this is nothing really surprising. And this has happened earlier and this is going to happen again and again. But within that rigidity, if we try to take a holistic view, there is a positive inclination from both the sides that probably the time has come when, you know, the in the post-Ukraine war, um, you know, there is a lot of talk about how the Chinese would emerge as a power, particularly, you know, in terms of targeting the Taiwan crisis, the, the Taiwan issue, uh, and how the Chinese, uh, uh, North Korea and, Japan and, and Russia trilateral calculus will address the security situation in Northeast Asia, in the East Asian regions. To that effect, I think there is a realization among the policymakers and the decision-making processes in South Korea and in Japan to rebuild the ties. So I don't really see, you know, Yoon and uh, Prime Minister Kishida not meeting in Madrid necessarily as a negative uh, development. Yes, of course, as I uh, of course, we know for a fact that probably Japan would like to see and probably the kind of mandate Yoon has got in South Korea. Uh, it would not really be possible for him to, you know, implement all the measures he wants to really implement. And even though today South Korea is talking about joining in Quad 
and uh, you know showing a lot of positivity towards indo pacific for south korea it is not really easy to co- commit um, to everything in indo pacific because there will be structural constraint for south korea to commit to indo pacific outrightly because uh, for south korea as i mentioned earlier north korea is the foremost challenger it's not even china so i think uh, south korea's foreign policy will still be very much caught in with the north korean dynamics but i think that issue is uh, going to be seen slightly different by the yoon administration even though north korea is the primary obstacle for south korea yoon administration is eager to see it more as a regional problem not as a bilateral or not as a northeast asia oriented problem and i think that's the distinction south korea is making in its foreign policy when it is trying to make a um, you know suggestion to join make a proposition to join in the quad and uh, trying to you know show positive inclination towards indo pacific and i i think to that extent the policy makers and the politicians and the leaderships um in japan would like to observe and take a back seat and try to monitor how is it how the situation and uh, you know the political dialogue and the political posturing in south korea is evolving so you're right i think uh, to some extent japan would like to observe and the kind of mandate yun administration has got probably it won't be really possible for him to outrightly commit everything to the indo pacific and joining uh, and supporting the us led architecture in indo pacific and i think at this moment there is very less scope for south korea to involve in various multilateral institutions in indo pacific even though i do see that bringing south korea into indo pacific will strengthen japan's uh, you know indo pacific partnerships um, and also it will also build a positive atmosphere in east asia but i think um, this um, kind of reservation and rigid stand from both the sides will continue to be there and we should not be really surprised about that so dr panda um Among the things that you bring up in the article that will be published shortly, uh you talk about uh unification uh of North and South Korea. And uh after your meetings in Seoul, uh how much do you think this is a focus or a, a really active expectation on the part of of uh, Koreans and how does that fit into their posture on issues like the uh the Japanese uh, rising sun flag and the uh, radar lock on issues and the uh you know other cooperation gisomia and those kind of things uh in their relations with japan uh do do you get any sense about those things as you were meeting there i mean i think it's a fascinating time to be in seoul so i'm really anxious to hear what you have to say <laughs> <laughs> no i think uh, as far as the korean unification issue is concerned i don't think this is a um, you know um uh, burning issue or a prime importance uh, issue uh, i think um, uh, there is absolutely no discussion about unification particularly when yun administration is really talking about joining in quad and you know join uh, supporting the indo pacific narrative so i don't think there is any discussion about unification but the reason i decided to write about unification is that i think this is one of the core issues which also helps us to understand how the countries 
see each other, how the countries see the two Koreas, how the countries have seen in past narratives both the Koreas and um, in, in, in contemporary and in future narrative, how they are going to see it. So the reason I wrote this piece is not only to understand the Japan's point of view, how Japan has seen traditionally the Korean uh, unification issue and how Japan would like to see both the Koreas, whether united or divided, and which is very much very clear that probably Japan would like to see a united Korea for its own benefit, but it is unable to really, um, you know, say it and do anything uh, to for the unification. And probably this is not practically possible to, in today's current, uh, you know, complex politics. And uh, therefore, unification as an issue is a uh, um, lost issue. It's not really a primary issue. But then if we need to really understand the narrative of uh, 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 Japan-South Korea relations and how Japan has seen in the regions, how South Korea has uh, looked at Japan and how the co- two Koreas have positioned uh, their interest vis-a-vis Japan. And I think we need to talk about uh, the unification issues because uh, unification issues gives us a kind of gist of ideas and a holistic impression about the past, present and future. And therefore, I decided to write about this. And one point that I have made in my um, article is that probably that um, if you see that... Um, you know, the last uh, couple of paragraphs in my article, and I will encourage the uh, readers to look uh, at those uh, end of this article, is that I think uh, um, for for Japan, I think uh, the issue would be whether um, it's not about so much about united Korea or divided Korea. For Japan, I think the core issue here is how to manage the Korean uh, peninsula policy. And I think that is one of these uh, critical issues for Japan. Um, so therefore, um, it is in, important for, from Japan's point of view to have a holistic Korean peninsula policy framework. And within that, Japan cannot avoid to talk about uh, both unified Korea as well as how to see and uh, separate and uh, see a divided Korea for the for its own national interest to preserve. So therefore, I would uh, request the readers to read this article. And um, therefore, I decided to write about how Japan uh, looks at a United Korea and what has been its historical point of view, uh, how currently Japan is looking at the issue, and how the strategic communities in South Korea is looking at Japan currently. Well, it's a very provocative uh, argument that you make. And of course, you also bring up the current roles of Russia and China, who are using North Korea as a, as a sort of pawn to uh, keep the irritation level up uh, against the United States, Japan, South Korea, and other uh, democracies in the region. Um, so I, I think it's a very fair uh, game for everybody to take a look at that. And I, I hope they do so too. Um, but talking about, you know, sort of a, having a unified policy, how do you get to a unified policy when you have North Korea sort of bounded by Russia and China and on the one hand, and uh, you, you can't really have sort of a single look at it or which parts of it are you suggesting should be sort of unified in, in their policy uh, approach? I'm, I think I want um, to provoke you a little bit more on that. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, no, thank you very much for that interesting point. In fact, um, uh, unified policy here does not necessarily mean that uh, Japan has to look uh, for a unified Korea. Unified policy necessarily here means that Japan has to, uh, you know, orchestrate or plan for a policy which is more Korean Peninsula oriented. And within that Korean Peninsula policy framework, uh, Japan has to think about the 
critical issues that uh, Japan has uh, not been able to address all this while. We should understand one 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 uh, point here is that I think for Japan's uh, security, um, uh, South Korea is critical, and for South Korea's security, Japan is uh, quite critical because both are alliance partner and there are U.S. troops involved in it. And in order to manage a security uh, attack uh, from North Korea or let's say from China, North Korea, I think both countries need each other. Uh, and therefore, I think uh, for Japan, what it needs to uh, what it makes sense to think about the Korean Peninsula as a united zone, um, not as a divided zone, which will be just only to manage, manage the North Korean threat and to challenge the you know the supremacy of South Korea vis-a-vis -vis Japan. And I think for Japan, uh, the critical issue here is while dealing with the North Korea, Japan has to also manage its relationship with South Korea because between South Korea and Japan, the core issue is who is a supreme power in East Asia. There is a, uh, you know, there is a competition between South Korea and Japan about holding their status as the foremost country. And every time there is a new U.S. president comes, we have seen that there is a lobby, um, you know, works from Japan and from South Korea, try to bring the American president uh, to their country first and try to prove to each other that we are the country which uh, U.S. gives us a prime, prime importance. I think that kind of mindset, that kind of narrative has to be changed. So when Japan is looking for a Korean Peninsula framework policy, it has to look at uh, North Korea problem. It has to look at management of alliance. It has to look for management of adversary alliance, that is uh, North Korea, China, and Russia, which might emerge in future and which will uh, bring greater problems for uh, Japan's security. And therefore, uh, Japan cannot really think in its old traditional way of looking at the Korean Peninsula. It has to think in a much more, um, you know, contemporary and much more innovative way. And therefore, when we are talking about the Korean Peninsula policy framework from Japan's point of view, North Korea will factor as the single most important point. Then probably, uh, you know, relationship, rebuilding the relationship with South Korea and also maintain you know, uh, trying to address and manage the adversarial um, alliances that might really emerge between Russia, China, uh, North Korea, uh, not to forget uh, the relationship between uh, uh, North Korea and Japan, uh, North Korea and China, which is there. And uh, for for last so many decades as an alliance partner, which is posing from time to time a greater problem for Japan's security. Thank you, Dr. Panda, for your response. Um, any last questions or statements to Dr. Panda? So I, I want to say that that was a great answer and a lot of good information, and you need to keep writing for us. And I'm going to turn it back over to Galileo. Thank you. Yes, thank Dr. you. Dr. Panda, we've had a nice conversation with you, and we thank you for your time. We understand you're very busy, but Yes, thank you for speaking with us. Your optimism for Japan-South Korean relations is very refreshing. As you know, we're in news and media. We often just read about negative news, and it, it seems like it's producing a negative narrative. But through your reports and research, it seems, it seems that there's much more to talk about in terms of a positive dialogue and diplomatic relations when it comes to Japan and Korea um, relations. And also your your opinion or your stance on Japan's strategic approach in Indo-Pacific relations um, is not just for a the Asian region, but for globally as well. I think that's something that's, um, that needs to be talked about more. And I agree with your statement of Japan to become more urgent in considering its bilateral, trilateral, and 
collateral relations with like-minded nations. I think this sets up um, a good precedent for for Japan to be not just a power nation in the region by itself, but to be part of like-minded countries and nations all over the world. Um, before we wrap up, do you have any announcements or anything you'd like to share with our listeners? No, thank you very much, Galileo Sen. And I think it's always a pleasure to interact uh, with the Japan Forward team. And um, I'm looking forward to continue my association, my columns, contributing for my columns, which is Asia's next page. Uh, but yes, in future, probably um, I would be proposing a few set of uh, initiatives with Japan Forward, how to build a much more you know, um, policy-oriented uh, exchange of opinions between the scholars, between the think tanks and uh, between Japan Forward, which has been one of my favorite, uh, you know, uh, writing space. And thank you very much for, um, you know, carrying forward my pieces. I'm, I'm looking forward to this uh, sustained engagement. Yes. So please follow Dr. Panda on Twitter and look out for his articles on Japan Forward. His latest piece, which will be about Japan-Korea relations, will be published in a couple of minutes or hours, but it'll be published shortly. Search for Asia's Next page to find all of Dr. Panda's works. Listeners, thank you for joining us tonight. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel, and this recording will be distributed on Spotify and Apple Music. Make sure you have a listen to that as well. At Japan Forward, we are looking for contributors and writers. Get in contact with us if you want to submit a written piece and let us know how you can contribute um, with your skill set that you think would add value to our vision. And please don't hesitate to get in touch. We'll do this again next week. And have a good evening, have a good night, have a good morning wherever you are. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Real Issues, Real Voices, Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. Visit our website for more information regarding our podcast and other news on Japan. Catch you next time.